Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Monday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. It's true or false, yes or no Monday. Doug Lamery, Scott Patsko and I answer true or false or yes and no questions from our Football Insider subscribers. So check that out coming up here on a Monday. If you want to be a Football Insider subscriber, I tell you what to do every pod. You've got to get on board. Training camp is getting close, less than a month away now. Cleveland.com slash Browns, that blue banner at the top of the page to get all your information and get signed up. Daily newsletter delivered to your inbox every single day. I guess that's what daily means. Uh, Access to exclusive stories on Cleveland.com slash Browns. And of course, you can be part of our text subscription. All right, here we go. Our Monday Orange and Brown Talk podcast. The thing that made Chi-Chi so great was the fried ice cream. And the Chi-Chi's is gone now and... I have never found another place that made fried ice cream like that. Here we go. Starting off your week on a Monday with football insider questions. One rule, though, it had to be a true or false or a yes or no question. So Doug, Scott, and I are going to go through these questions that were sent in. I've only scanned them, so I'm going to be as surprised by a lot of these questions probably as Doug and Scott are. So here we go. We'll start with this one from the 216 area code. This one probably shouldn't take long. True or false, the Browns will be favorites in the majority of their games. I don't know if there's a case to be made for false. Is is there? I mean, majority of games, I think, yeah. I mean, like, so nine games. Yeah. I think looking at their schedule, they only have, I mean, we went through this uh, the other day on the podcast, talking about the schedule and how they just have a lot of teams that you don't really know what you're going to get. So, yeah, I would say that's true. They're going to be favored. I mean, I guess like, yeah, the de- by the definition of majority, right? More than half. Yeah. But, I've, but I think if it would be like a bunch, well, not Kansas City, right? Not Green Bay. Maybe neither Baltimore game? I don't know. Not, I, maybe I not, think they'd be favored by, in one of those Baltimore games. Baltimore at home? Be, fa- yeah. be favored? I think they'd be favored in at least one of those. Maybe not at Pittsburgh? I don't know. But that's still only four or five. You know, it's one of those things. I mean, they're going to be really good. I still have a nagging suspicion about them perhaps being underestimated maybe not initially but like if they hit you know if they lose a game that people don't expect them to lose I wonder if some people will bail on them and then there'll be like money to be made for people who are like yeah I mean everybody loses a game sometimes you're not supposed to lose it doesn't mean that they should be you know underdogs at Cincinnati whatever you know what I mean so like I mean yeah but I also don't know that I mean it might be 10 to 7 or 11 to 6 you know I don't it's not going to it's not like they're going to be favored in 15 of 17 games like a team like the Chiefs like probably will be, right? So I, I, I think it's majority by definition, but maybe not as many as you think. Okay, I, mean, I, I want to do this. I'm going to read these off. Uh, I got my, my screen up in front of me, so I can't see you guys here on Zoom. So just shout out when you think the Browns will be not be favored after the Chiefs game. So, right, we're going to assume they're not favored against the Chiefs. So I'm just going to – let's figure out the next game that they won't be favored in. Texans. Bears at Vikings. Uh, I, like, if you're going to tell me that, like, Dalvin Cook has a good start, like, don't people think the Vikings might be decent this year? Road, road home matters in the NFL. I don't know. I think the Browns could be like a two point underdog at Minnesota. Scott, do you agree with that? Yeah, I think the road games are where you're going to get those, those questionable, you're not really sure. And plus, like you said, at that point in the year, I guess it depends on how good of a start. Like, the team you're going to mention next. It's going to come down to how good they they got up to a start. 
Browns going right. cross country to face the Chargers. Right. So at Chargers, I think they would be at least be favored in one of those games, if not both. Cardinals, I think they'd be favored at home. I think favored, yeah. Mm-hmm. Broncos, unless Aaron Rodgers is there. Right. Favorite at home. Even Doug, if you he mentioned is, the they could be bad with him. Everybody assumes he's going to step in there <laughs> and they're going to be great. He might not be great, but anyways. Drew Locke, believer alert. Scott Papsko, <laughs> Drew Locke, believer alert. Yeah, give me a poster. All right. All right we, we, already said one, we already said one of the Steelers games probably, so we'll just skip that one. None of the Bengals games. At Patriots, hard to say right now. Yeah, that's one of those teams that could go either way this year. People are all jacked up about Mac Jones, right? I don't know, but maybe. Uh, Lions, no. We'll Think. split the Ravens games. Raiders, no. Packers, again, that's sort of a maybe because it's so far away. I mean, what if the Packers, like if they don't have Aaron Rodgers, if they just aren't as good as we thought they'd be. And then Steelers and Browns, or I'm sorry, Steelers and Bengals at the end. A lot of maybes in there. There aren't a lot of yeah. short things, though, that we threw out. Given the fact that, like, I think people think the Browns might go 13 and four. Like, I don't think they'll be favored in 13 out of 17 games, if you know what I mean. Right. I think there's a lot more because we're ha- it's a different discussion that we're having. I mean, we've only had the how many games are they going to win? Are they going to win this game discussion a thousand times? That's different than are they going to be favored? Like, if you ask me right now, are they going to go win at Minnesota? I would say yes. If you said, are they going to be favored at Minnesota? I'd say, ah, I think they could be like a practically a pick them, you know, in a road game like that against a decent team. So it is, uh, the, I'm very curious what the perception of the Browns by national media and by odds makers as influenced by public betting will be. I, I have less of a handle, I think, on what I think the perception of the Browns will be than on how good I actually think they're going to be. From the 954 area code, true or false, Baker Mayfield will be thought of as a top five quarterback after this season. False. That's a high bar, man. Yes, it I is. think that I think that is a high bar. Top five is like practically like win by yourself, you know, like throw just like rocket arm, crazy mobility, like make the right read almost all the time. It's like you can get through like. I think there's five like future Hall of Famers that would be the top five of that. That I just right now for Baker, I just think that's a little much. Yeah, I mean Deshaun Watson on a really bad team, obviously really good quarterback. You don't you don't have to be on a good team to be a top five quarterback. I think the more important thing that Baker, I think after this season, if all goes well, he'll be thought of as a winner, and that's probably more important, anyways. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say false because it's going to be hard to move him in front of like, is, is he going to like, who's he going to pass? Is he going to pass Russell Wilson? Is he going to pass? I mean, the Deshaun Watson thing is tricky. Is he going to pass Aaron Rodgers? Maybe Tom Brady retires. <laughs> you know, I don't know. There's things that could happen, but you start listing off the guys he has to pass and you wonder like, yeah. is he going to pass them? He might start getting mentioned in some of the same sentences as them. I don't know if he's going to actually pass them like Dak Prescott yes. and Lamar Jackson has an MVP, right? I mean, like there's, there's just enough top five is such a high threshold. Sorry, Scott. I was going to say, as always, it doesn't, he doesn't need to be a top five quarterback for this team to win. And that's, you know, Browns fans need to keep that in mind. The offense is structured in a way that they don't need that. Okay. This is a good one from the nine Oh four area code. True or false. John Johnson III is the most important member of the defense, not named Miles Garrett. That's <laughs> tough because they do have a couple of other safeties. Like, I probably would say Denzel, just because, like, if Denzel vanished, if Denzel, you know, gave up football tomorrow to pursue another occupation, to be a, you know, a chemist. I would be more nervous about what they're trying to do at cornerback than if John Johnson, the third stepped away tomorrow. And then what would they do at safety? It's about who you are. It's about the position you play. And I, even though safety really matters here, I think corner still is more valuable and it's about the other options on the team. And to watch if you, if your number one corner just walked away, I, I would consider Denzel more valuable than John Johnson. Like he's in the mix. He might, he might be third. Like he might, I mean, he might be third. 
So I'll buy that, but I just think we've got to give Denzel his due. Like judging the value of these guys against one another is tough because yeah, John Johnson is going to be a leader on the defense and we've spent all offseason talking about how great his versatility is for, for Joe Woods and how well he played with the Rams and he was obviously a huge signing, but I just got done writing about the Browns issues uh, defending the slot for today. And I mean, if Troy Hill goes down, like they're back in the similar boat that they were in last year where they just had all sorts of issues and teams threw three wide receivers at the Browns all the time. And as good as John Johnson is, you don't want him covering the slot every down, you know? So I guess value is kind of, it's kind of tricky to say, but I will say this. I think that John Johnson has a, if you, if you include intangibles and experience and all that kind of stuff and his versatility, I'll, I can go with true on that. I know Denzel obviously is somebody you can't really replace with anybody you got on the roster, but I, I, I'll, I'll go ahead and sort of agree that John Johnson can be number two on this list. So I, th- I think Scott makes a really interesting point and it's kind of like, how are we going to define value in this discussion, right? If it's just straight up value, like most important, it goes Miles Garrett and then it probably does go to Denzel Ward. Just you're looking at positional importance. You're looking at the type of player he is, all of that stuff. You could also make the case to Davian Clowney is the most important player on this defense, depending on how you define it. Because if you lose Clowney, now you lose that depth, that edge rusher. And, and Doug, I know, you know, when it comes to Tack McKinley, I don't love him if he's my starting edge rusher. I actually really kind of like him as my third defensive end. So that, I mean, that changes that depth chart, right? If Jadavian Clowney goes down. Now he's not the fourth best player on this defense, but I don't know, maybe, maybe he will be, but I, I guess it's how we define importance. And that's what makes this a complicated question. I do think there might be a difference in how you evaluate value of when you are on the field, what is your value? And then the idea of like, what if you weren't on the field, what would be your value? So I think Denzel, because of what a number one corner is, because of the other options might be the guy you'd want to least lose behind miles. But I think it's possible when they have their best 11 defenders on the field and they're doing what they do at the highest level, it might be that John Johnson is the second most important guy making it go behind what they do. And I would say the other thing is, I think it's possible that given their depth, Dan, you're just talking about, they kind of have three defensive ends. We know they have three safeties. You add Newsom now. Do you have three corners you trust? They have a couple of movable parts, a defensive tackle and linebacker. You know, Miles might be the only truly like irreplaceable guy on this defense. That value of like, well, if you lose him, you're really in trouble, which is like, Awesome, because frankly, I think what a good team wants to do is actually lessen the value of any individual player so that you have fewer players that you say, well, if we don't have that guy, we're done. We're cooked. Oh, that guy turned his ankle on the first play. Well, that's it. We're going to lose. That's not where you want to be. And I think maybe with this defense, with all the changes and additions they've made, I think Miles Garrett might stand alone in a if we don't have him we can't win situation. And then everybody else is like, well, we have options. All right. This one might've come up the last time we did this, Scott. I don't remember, but if it did, Doug was not involved. So, and I think we've, we've had this on a podcast. If it wasn't the last time we did a true or false, but true or false. Speaking of miles Garrett, he will lead the league in sacks. This is from the two, two, four area code. I know I've, I've thought about this and I know we've, we've talked about it. I, I can't remember where I came out on it. So I'm going to, it's a definite possibility, I'll go with true because no one will remember this. And number two, (laughs) I think that the fact all these upgrades they made to the back of the defense is going to have a very big impact on the time he has to get to the quarterback. This almost makes me want to come up with some kind of like healthy miles sack index. Like let's look at the games where we feel like he truly was himself. And then how many plays does it take him to get a sack? He he has X number of sacks in those games. And it's hard to make assumptions about a healthy 17 game schedule for anybody. And healthy is a relative term. But again, as we talked about a million times, COVID last year, the suspension in the year before, we still do not know what this looks like. We don't know what the perfect ideal start to finish at the top of his game, Miles Garrett season looks like, because his first two seasons, I mean, he started off with an injury issue and then he's like kind of figuring it out, man. So 
it's hard to have a season like that, but I think lots of great players do have at least one or two or three seasons like that in their career, right? Where everything came together. They managed to stay healthy the whole time. They were surrounded by talent. They had a good defensive coordinator who knew how to use them. And oh my gosh, that's their peak year. There's no way we've seen Miles's peak year. Not even close. We've seen like a peak month. So it's like, what's a peak year look like for Miles Garrett in a 17-game schedule? 24 sacks? I don't know. Is that insane? What's the Miles healthy sack index? Is it a sack and a half per game? Note to self. Summer project. I don't know. But like, if you're going to tell me, well, I think if he's healthy, he's going to have at least 20 sacks. How many other guys in the league do you say that about? Right? So I guess if I'm putting my money down, I'm probably putting it for sack leaders on Miles Garrett. So before he went on the COVID list last year, so the last week would have been week 10. So the ninth game, he had nine and a half sacks. And that was, that includes no sacks in week one against Baltimore. He had two games with no sacks. And then he he had nine and a half after nine games. So he was at about a sack a game right there. Uh, And then he had two and a half in the regular season after he came back from COVID. So he can do a sack a game. And that would, I mean, 17 sacks, right? I think that would have led the league last year. And and I know I had that, that Brandon Thorne, I think it was on uh, got to watch the tape at some point who has like his sort of own sack measurement and miles doesn't get cheap sacks miles like create sacks on his own that few other guys create. I think one of the benefits, I, you know, I, again, I think I'd like to do research on this. I'm not probably smart enough to do it, but like, what are the real tangible benefits of when one great defensive end has another great defensive end on the other side? I do think miles get might get like two or three cheap sacks this year that he hasn't gotten before when it's like, frankly, it's a clowny sack. And Clowney flushes the quarterback straight into Miles. And, like, I, I don't know how many of those are on Miles' career sack list. My guess is not a ton. Where it's like he kind of would just stand in there. He maybe doesn't even beat his guy. But it's like somebody else does something that causes the quarterback to hold the ball. And then Miles cleans up. So if you're saying when he's healthy, sack a game, that's 17. Throw in three bonus Clowney-assisted sacks, that's 20. I mean, when, when's Ohio getting sports gambling, get, get that $5 bill, get that Abe out of my wallet, man. I'm slamming that on miles to lead the league in sex. I do know that Emmanuel Ogbud and Olivier Vernon uh, did not get a boost in their game playing with miles Garrett. And while he did improve over his first few years, uh, I don't look at it as being because he was playing with Ogba or Vernon. Uh, he did have 10 sacks in 10 games, by the way, also in 2019. So there's your, your sack of game rate there two years ago. Yeah, I think that's that's doable. I think at the very least, he needs to come away from this season with the Browns single season record, which is uh, 14 and a half, which should be easy for him to get. Yeah, he should have gotten it by now, but injuries and then like COVID, of course, kept him from getting it last year. Are we sure here? This, this is for some football analytics expert out there. Are we sure that when we look at guys helping each other on the defensive line, we should be looking at the bookends or is miles going to help those interior guys more or having better interior guys is going to help the guys on the outside more. I think we're thinking about where's that tight end or where's that running back who's helping chip people, you know, is he on miles side or is he, is he on the other side? Mostly been on miles side during his career here, but I think you, you do have a point there being able to occupy that guard and not allow him to come over and help double is, is a big thing. Yeah. I think having Jadavian and miles lined up next to each other is going to be a problem for somebody. And, and uh, I asked Joel Batonio about that when he spoke to us at minicamp and he's basically said, yeah, when you're the guard of the center, you don't want that best pass rusher lined up over you. True or false. Andrew Barry adds one more big piece to the defense in a trade before the season begins. So not camp this season. That's from the 215 area code. Ask Mary Kay. So I, <laughs> I guess I was, so I was like, ah, I don't know. Mary Kay is like, they're going to get clowny. They're going to get clowny. It's like, ah, it's, gonna, it's like she always, she's, if you guys read like an insider, like in July, if you see a name, a halfway decent big name in July in a Mary Kay insider, anticipate that guy being on the roster at least by mid-September. So like, I don't like, so they did it with Ronnie Harrison last year, right? Well, that was desperation because the guy got hurt. So like part of me wants to say like, hopefully no, because it feels like if they did, it would be because something else went wrong. 
at, at some point you have to stop, right? I, I don't even know. I guess would it be another corner? I don't even know. Like, what would it be? Another defensive tackle since Sheldon Richardson is not coming back? I, I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure what it would be, but I'm certainly comfortable going into the season with the guys they have now. Yeah, I can't see him swinging a deal um, unless people get hurt. And I think, yeah, like you said, defensive tackles, that one area where you're not, I guess, totally set on, on what you're going to have, who's going to be in that rotation. Maybe if you're adding people there or, say, at linebacker, it's because it came after cuts. And there's someone out there you like uh, better than what you kept. But I don't see him, him making any sort of deal because I, I there's really no reason to right now. Yeah, you know, and we get asked this a lot too with, like, oh, could the Browns add – I forget what I was, who I was talking to, but somebody was like, well, could the Browns add another receiver? And I just wanted to say, well, why? I mean, at some point you have to ask yourself why. Why are you adding another guy at that position? You need another receiver. We, all we talk about is – can you get another? Can you get these guys the football on offense enough? So now you're going to add another receiver to that mix. I, I do think there is a point where it's like, okay, I think you're covered. You got to just roll with the guys you have. Uh, but defensive tackle, like you said, Scott, maybe an area that you keep an eye on just because there's a lot of guys there. I don't know how many guys there are ready to contribute like immediately. Although still, I even like that room too with with Malik Jackson and Tommy Togi. I looked really good in OTAs and mini camps. So. I, um, there's a lot of good things there. I'd be down with bringing in Duke Johnson as a, as a, <laughs> as depth at your running back. Like that's a move that if he's willing to do it and if it's not for a lot of money, that to me would make sense. But other than that, I, yeah, I don't see it happening. I think the last Browns podcast I was on was on with Scott when he proposed the Duke Johnson return on got to watch the tape. So I am glad to see that Scott is retaining that place on the corner. He has not ceded that ground to anybody else. Scott Patsko, Duke or bust. Well, well, Duke, Duke can finally play receiver. Like he's always wanted to, because there's not a lot of room for him (laughs) in that running back room. All right. From the five, one, three area code, Doug, I don't know if this is a compliment or not, but this person says you are the true voice of the average Cleveland sports fan. So there you go. I've, I've been called average many times in my <laughs> life. So I will take that as a compliment to be the voice of the average fan. All right. So there's, there's three of them here. One of them, one of them is a restaurant question, Doug. So this, this one is Ooh. kind of really targeted to you. Uh, true or false. Oh, here we go. We got to go on the record on this one. True or false. The Browns will either win week one or lose in a close game. I guess, I guess they're saying they'll either win the game or lose by like three. Is that true or false? I think that's false. I I am totally prepared for not quite like the opener last year at Baltimore, but not that far away from it. Like I I am absolutely set up for like, "Mm, that wasn't great. Uh, Like some people are overreacting. We're trying not to overreact. The chiefs look like absolutely no doubt about it. The best team in the league. And then like, it's just like a weird hiccup. They just get steamrolled by like an angry monster and then they like lose three games the rest of the year afterward. But like, I definitely think it's possible to like go there and lose by 28. And there's no way I'm picking the Browns to win this game. They're, they're 120 and one since 99. And I, I feel like we need to go back and do some sort of deep investigative story on how the Browns beat the Ravens back in 2004. I think it was. I mean, I, I the Steelers just must not have really been trying as hard as they, they should have. Uh, back, what was it, 2018? when they tied, but other than that, they just, the Browns don't win in week one. doesn't matter who they're playing. They played the Bengals in week one and lost. So yeah, they're not winning this game. I mean, I do think like a completely new defense that might take a little time, you know, to get to know each other beyond the preseason and like the return of Odell. And like, as much as I think Odell is better for this offense, I think Odell is going to be good. I could imagine like Baker pressing a little bit, right? It always it still is never quite natural with those guys. I think it will be, but I'm not sure it's going to be like the first three drives in Kansas City. And I think there might be a couple of like, well, force at Odell, force at Odell, punt, you know, and, and, and it'll just take a little time to sort of work it out. I just think the Chiefs are going to be so mad. I just think, I think they're going to be so mad. They're going to think the Browns are like pretenders to the Chiefs throne as like the kings of the AFC and they might be looking to just do something. That is a tough place to play. Like the Browns are kind of set up, I think, to get blown out in week, in week one, despite being one of the five best teams in the NFL. 
It's just the it, the league works that way sometimes. And so I'll, I'm happily wrong. Again, as the voice of the average fan, I am ecstatic to be wrong on that point. But I am absolutely preparing myself for it. And I am preparing to like talk about it after the game and be like, it's fine. It's fine because I think it might be ugly. I'm going the other way. I'm trying to, I'm talking myself into it. I think the Browns can win that game. I think they can win that game. I don't know if I'm going to be saying that week one or not, but I think they can win that game. Kansas City has a new offensive line. You know, we talk about the Browns defense hasn't played together. That offensive line hasn't played together. And, and they just, I mean, they lost Kyle Long, who they obviously thought was going to be a key piece to that. I don't know if he'll be ready for week one or not. I don't know what's going on with that injury. I know Andy Reid is great off bye weeks, and he's great in opening weeks. And I know that's going to be a crazy Chiefs crowd, probably at full capacity finally. And it's a four o'clock game. But I also, I know what this Browns team did when they played Pittsburgh, and they were fired up and motivated and wanted to take it to the Steelers. Now, the, the Chiefs are way better than the Steelers, but I know how Kevin Stefanski can get this team kind of amped up and fired up to play a football game. Like I say, this is the worst possible matchup they could have had for week one. They, like they didn't need to play the chiefs week one this season. They needed to play them mid season. They needed the Steelers at home in week one. Like that was the every other year. It seemed like they would play the Steelers to open the season. This was a year when that should have happened because that'd be the perfect game for this team all revamped to come out and, and face them. I, I don't know. It's, it's going to be, I just, I can't imagine what ESPN is going to be like, you know, the day after the game with all their talking head shows, if the Browns lose and they're, they're blown out, that's just going to be the whole national storyline. The Browns are overhyped again, which, which might turn out to be great for the Browns. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to zag now and on June 25th and say, I think the Browns can win this game. That's, that's going to be my, my zag. Is there like a super, super duper early line on that game? Like, I, I would be curious. There probably that, is. There has to be. I wonder if it's more than a touchdown. I'd be curious about that, which is just which is just about the Chiefs, right? It's just about like sort of the talented blew the Super Bowl Chiefs at home with all the stuff you said about Andy Reid. I, I'm, I'm very, very curious how this game will be perceived. There's a post on FanDuel that has Kansas City minus five and a half. Okay. In the last 16 years, the Browns have led in the fourth quarter of a week one game four times. I'm not letting you guys talk me down from this. Scott Patsko, opening week expert. I am now waiting for you to research how many Super Bowl champs lost their opener. Because again, it's a long season, man. Like it really, I don't want to say it means nothing. I think we actually had that debate on this podcast of like, I think I may have said the phrase, the Chiefs game means nothing. And Mary Kay was like, what do you mean it means nothing? It's the Chiefs and the Browns. It's like, okay, well, I guess it probably is more than nothing. But I think it is it is far from any kind of defining moment for the Browns because they're going to have a long time. To, a, they're going to have 17 games to define themselves. And B, they're already defined. Like the one thing is, is like I, I absolutely would push back on any kind of idea of like, well, they have to go prove something. They can't, they're one of the five best teams in the league. Like they made the playoffs last year. They won a playoff game. They hung with Kansas City. Like they got much better. They got for a very good team. They got much better. Like they are good. They don't have to prove they're good. They're going to be good. So I, so I just, I am, I am going to spend the rest of the summer just trying to attach, not make sure I'm not attaching too much importance to what is arguably, again, what is the toughest? If you said, what's the toughest game to play in the NFL? I mean, is, isn't a road game at Kansas city number one? What's the toughest scenario? The toughest team at home, right? What is that? It's at Arrowhead. They're playing the toughest game in the league to open the season with the brand new defense and Odell coming off an injury. Like it, it just is what it is, man. All right, Doug, here's your restaurant question. This yes. Is, all right. Yes or no. Is it right to pick a Mexican restaurant based on margaritas and queso? I think that's fair. Yeah, because that seems like I do think there's room for specialization within that. I do think a lot of the other stuff, especially some of the fried stuff with Mexican food, you know, you drop some meat and dough in a deep fryer, and sometimes I'm not sure how different you're really going to get, right? But I think queso and margarita is, it's a little bit like a canvas. It's where the artist, where the chef gets to paint a little bit. What you do, you put something in your queso. 
how you really do your margarita. I think that is a very fair thing to do. And then, uh, but frankly, you know, if you get chips and salsa at the start, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. Does the rest even really matter? The salsa matters to me. How good your salsa is too. I would lump that in a little bit with the queso, but I, I'm all in on like sort of the things on the periphery of a Mexican restaurant, determining how good it is, maybe more than the entrees themselves. The thing that made Chi-Chi so great was the fried ice cream. And the Chi-Chi's is gone now, and I have never found another place that made fried ice cream like that. And Scott has not eaten Mexican food since. He hasn't had Mexican food since 1993, <laughs> when the last Chi-Chi's closed. I dig, man, I do miss Chi-Chi's. That's a, that's a good callback there, Scott. All right, this person had one last question. It's a good one. Yes or no, the Browns will sweep the Steelers and Bengals this season. I'll t- I'm going to stay on this optimism train. I think they will. I- I'm just waiting for someone to make the case to me that the Steelers are like anything more than a seven or eight win team besides well, they're the Steelers. They're, I agree with that. I think you're right. Them. I think you're right, Dan. I think actually I would maybe have more question about sweeping the Bengals. Not that I think the Bengals are going to be great for 17 games, but if you're telling me at some point, like, you know, with Jamar Chase added to Joe Mixon and Joe, Mur- Joe Burrow's all healthy and whatever, that, like, they can get up for a game and, like, have a weird game where, like, Joe Bur- Burrow throws for, like, 450 yards and Baker Mayfield throws for 430 yards and the Bengals win, like, 45-42. Like, I think that's a little more likely than the Steelers maybe finding a way to do it. It's interesting, the Browns – the Browns – for, you know, for the last couple of years, we've, we've tried to find like sort of proving grounds for the Browns. Like, well, if they can do this, they can do this. The Browns are now going to be that, I think, for the Bengals, right? That the Steelers are maybe kind of on their way down. The Ravens are a little more established, but I think the Bengals, like I think the Bengals are going to get up for the Browns. And so then you've got to be careful of that because they're not, you know, they're not 44 deep with their two, with all their, you know, their two deep offensive defense, but they've got some good players. And I think they have a quarterback they believe in, and I think they could jump up and bite you. So I would say, I think if you're the Browns, I would take three and one right now in more games, and I would take that happily and, and take it to the bank. The Browns aren't going to face either of those teams until week eight. Right. All four of those games are in the second half of the season. If the Browns are going to be what, what a lot of people expect them to be, they'll be it by then. So I think, yeah, it's a definite possibility. I would, I would, I'm down with, with sweeping the Steelers and the Bengals. Because by week eight, the Browns should be whatever you know time it takes to get the defense in order or get Odell totally integrated into the offense. Uh, that that should happen by then. So I think they, if everything goes well, they should be rolling by then. Now, if we do say they're going to sweep the Ravens, I'm sorry, sweep the Bengals and the Steelers, we're saying they're probably going to go five and one in the division. Because I'm assuming you both would make a case that they would split with the Ravens. Because I... That second Ravens game, everything is just set up for the Ravens to not be able to win that game. I mean, there are so many things, factors working against the Ravens in that game. I think they'll probably at least split those. So now you're talking five and one in the division. I mean, it is one of those things. Okay, let's say I think the Browns are going 13 and four. Let's say I think that. I don't know if I officially think that yet or not. What are the four losses? All right, Kansas City, I'll say split with the Ravens. I'll say they lose, they go three and one combined against the Steelers and Bengals. And then another game. I don't know. We were just saying they're kind of playing a bunch of like middling teams, right? Like yeah, I think that, that I, Minnesota, Denver, Arizona stretch, that, Chargers, that feels like there's a loss in there somewhere. So one in there, but like, so it's one of those things. It's like, I, I do think if you think, well, they sweep the Bengals and the Steelers, they only lose one to the Ravens. They, they maybe they have a chance against the chiefs. It starts to be one of those things. Like, do you think they're going 15 and two? Like it is, it's like, you've got, it's like play find the loss. Because again, as you guys said, there's a lot of those middle tier games. And that I think is where they're going to make their money. Like, I think they're going to win the middle tier games where it's like, well, it feels like the Browns are like, you know, between three and five points better in these games. I think they're going to win those, but like, okay, Kansas at Kansas city's tough split with Baltimore. And I just think the division rivalries, you know, there's something extra there. But it is, I think it is going to be one of those, I'll be, I'm super excited. I always love it. I know it's Scott Pasco's favorite thing is making predictions both before <laughs> a game and before a season. But like when we get down to it, like if you're not careful, if you're not careful, it's not that you're going to pick the Browns to go nine and eight. It's that you're going to accidentally pick the Browns to go 15 and two. 
Cause you're going to be like, well, where are they going to lose? They have too many good players. So that's why I think thinking that maybe like a Bengals loss that you don't exactly see almost makes sense to me as like one of their four or five losses. Yeah. And we're, we're making, I mean, we're talking about this, the context of the Browns are healthy and the other team's healthy. And I mean, some of these losses come down to who's available. I mean, those Bengals games were close because the Browns didn't have anybody in their secondary and the Bengals just tore that apart. And, you know, obviously the Jets game was its own little theater. So we don't really know like what these games that they do lose, if they lose to a game to the Bengals, it's probably not going to be because the Bengals just flat out beat the Browns uh, in some sort of shootout where both teams were at full strength. It's I'm basically explaining why I hate predictions, I think, but I, I still say it's, I think it's more true that, that they'll sweep the Steelers and the Browns or the Bengals. This one's from the nine, four, nine area code. True or false. Doug is the most problematic orange and Brown podcaster to sit next to in the press box. Now, Scott, now last year was different. Scott usually has his spot way down at the end. Yeah. of our row i actually usually do end up sitting next to you doug i think at these games i actually kind of like it because doug sits there and asks questions and kind of gets you thinking about stuff so i don't mind it i i think yeah it's it's fine it's fine with me scott i don't know though what's what's your press box experience with yeah doug? i've never actually sat next to doug i think the I think the ideal scenario in the press box is where we have me, then an open seat, the Mary Kay, then an open seat, the Dan. Like we have all this room to kind of spread out and do our thing. And, you know, then, then Doug shows up and crams his way in there. But but he's never sat next to me or between me and Mary Kay. So, yeah, I don't know. I've sat next to Doug in, in meetings when we were, you know, all in the office. And I didn't find that very problematic. But, yeah, I, I think it would be okay. I think... I don't know. Does Doug like mutter what, what he's going to be talking about under his breath as, as the game's going on? You know, he, does he get these rants in his head and he's kind of testing them out to the people next to him? Like that, that would be annoying, I think. But, but I don't know if Doug does that. I, I don't uh, even know if it's mutter is just, as just shout them in the midst of, I, I like Scott acting like, oh, I don't know what's happened that I've never sat next to Doug. Like it's an accident that Scott's never sat next to me. He like goes in and like gets the seating chart for the game and is like, keep me away from that guy. But <laughs> he's, as the he's voice- moving the cards around. Yeah, it's like, oh, uh, Scott, these are misnumbered. It's like, oh, no, 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 I don't know what happened. It's like, we're just nine seats apart, Doug, sorry. As the voice of the average Cleveland sports fan, there are two things I like to do during a game, eat and talk. And so if that's not something you want the person next to you doing in a press box, yes, I am problematic because I'm doing both most of the time. And then I'm also saying things like, uh, who, had, who's, who had the coverage on that play? Who, was that third and eight or third and nine? Did you guys see what was – so there's a lot of that. So Well, and, and the bad part about that, Doug, is I'm the worst person to ask those questions to. Like, who was who covering on that play? Oh, I don't know. I was checking my email or something. It's like Dan I, is trying to k- take notes for himself and for me. It's like having a <laughs> child in the press box. I, I do take it back what I said before. I have sat next to Doug before in a press box. It was not in a Browns game or an Ohio State game. It was in an Indians game. It was a playoff game, Indians and the Yankees. And I did sit next to Doug. And the reason I remember that is when you said you talk a lot. And I distinctly remember you talking a lot throughout that game. And it just dawned, like, I got the sense that, is Doug really watching this game? Like he's going to write a column. Is he watching the game? I'm sitting here taking notes and Doug's talking to everybody. And then after the game, he wrote this great column about, uh, I think it was the game where uh, it was like a home run at the end of the game or it was a grand slam. I don't know, but uh, whatever game they, they got up early on the Yankees, but it was a great column. And I thought, well, that dude just sat there the whole time and talked to everybody. <laughs> what I'm usually doing is probing other people's minds. So like if I ask a question and someone has a really good answer, I'm like, oh, I'm stealing that. I do have that rule in the press box. If you don't want me to steal your thought and put it in what I'm writing, don't say it. Once it's in the public domain, it is up for grabs. And your brilliant thought about sports is very likely going to appear under the byline of Doug Murray's. Ronnie here from the 330 area code. Another Baker question. True or false, Baker will make the Pro Bowl this season. This kind of goes with the top five thing. There's three quarterbacks I was checking here 
uh, while we were talking through that, there's three quarterbacks on the Pro Bowl roster. So true or false, Baker is one of those three this year. Can you be on the Pro Bowl roster if you're in the Super Bowl? Yes. Yeah. You can. Yeah, play. Okay. Yes. And yes. Because I, th- I think there's like a different thing of like actually sort of being a top five quarterback and like kind of getting voted in as a thing like this because like your team is good and you've played better than you've ever played before. Right. So I think this is actually more doable. Man. Is Aaron Rodgers coming to the Broncos? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> the Pro Bowl is so weird. I think Baker, if we're including alternates and there's actually a game, like I would be more inclined to say, yeah, he could make the play in a Pro Bowl game. I don't, I don't know if he's going to be one of the top three vote getters this year. I just, I don't know. I mean, they vote for that before the season's over for one. And then I just don't know if, if this offense is kind of set up to make him that did Kirk Cousins make a Pro Bowl with the Vikings? I need to look he that might, up. He might have. I mean, Carson Wentz is in the AFC now too. I was just gonna say, I just got a text from Ellis that says Carson Wentz edges out Baker for final Pro Bowl spot. Sorry, <laughs> but Kirk Cousins did make it in 2019 uh, with the Vikings. So I mean, yeah, I guess there's a chance, but I, I don't know. I'm gonna lean towards false, and not because I don't think Baker's a good quarterback. I just I'm saying false. I don't All have right. to explain myself. No, no. These are one-word answers. You're, you can get away with it. This is some record questions from the 904 area code. Baker's highest one-year passing total is 3,725 yards. He wants to know, will he surpass Brian Sipes' all-time total of 4,132 this year? Uh, this came up a little bit on a Hey Mary Kay this week. Somebody asked us to predict Baker's stats. I think we both said he would go over 4,000. Yeah, I, I think he's going to be. I, I think he's set up to have that type of year. And the, the other thing, too, is like 4,000 yards in 2020 isn't what 4,000 yards was 10 years ago. So, yeah, I, I think this is the year when Baker kind of gets it, puts up those types of numbers we're used to seeing from, from quarterbacks that throw the ball around a lot. I think he'll, he'll get over 4,100. I mean, he only needs that's not even 250 yards a game to, to beat Brian Sipes' record. You know, he had a couple weird weather games last year. His best receiver was hurt for half the year. The first half of the year, like he wasn't comfortable in the offense. Again, I think just like with Miles, which again is part of like, it's this whole thing with the Browns. It's like they have a bunch of good young players who have not yet played their best football. We have not seen the best of Baker Mayfield. So, you know, that doesn't mean 5,000 yards in this offense with what they want to do. But I do think much more than we've seen in the past, I think we will see a couple games where Baker really pops in some games. And that the way to average 250 yards passing is not to have 250 yards passing in every single game. It's to throw in a 350 every now and then. And I think there will be more opportunities where we will see that, where he's more comfortable, where everything's flowing, and he'll just have a couple, you know, once a month, he's going to go nuts. And then that evens everything out. So, yeah, I, I think this is a, a you add the game in. I think, yeah, I think he very likely will break that record this year. I actually wrote about this uh, when the NFL officially announced they're going to 17 games. I went through a lot of the career or single season records, passing, rushing, receiving, and basically came away with the thinking that no, Baker's not going to reach Brian Sype. Uh, Landry and Beckham are not going to reach Ozzie Newsom's catch record. You know, Chubb's not going to reach Jim Brown's 1,800 yards. And I kept coming back to the fact that, I mean, not including Baker in this, but every other position, you have this these multiple options. You know, we talk about how much depth this offense has. So I do not see a lot of those skill position guys reaching those numbers. I kind of broke down a lot of the, the averages, and it just came up short. As far as Baker goes, um, averaged out over a 17-game season. What he did last year would come up short of Slype. And you're right, he did have – those weather games, but he did also have a couple games where he did have to throw a lot. Like in a perfect world, I don't know if that's really where you're going to have Mayfield average wise. I think the first four or five games last year is, is, is where Stefanski would prefer to have him. I think it's kind of still a long shot for him to get there. The Sipe single season number, but I mean, anything can happen with an extra game. And like you said, he's going to pop sometimes. It's just, it's just going to be out of the norm for this offense. I will say one of the 
one of the best ways for a quarterback to sort of pad his passing yards is to have a bad defense. And if this deep Browns defense got a lot better, it's like, oh, Baker doesn't need to be flinging the ball all over the place in the second half because the defense gave up 40. You know, so I do think that that actually probably works more towards Scott point. Scott's point that the defense, the Browns defense might be too good to sort of allow it to happen. You look at look at the wild card game. That's a good example of that. So, so just to put this in perspective, though, Brian Seif was second in the league that year in passing yardage yardage. He would have been this year 11th if he put up that number. Uh, there were 12 quarterbacks in 2020 that went over 4,000 yards. So, and I'm just curious, I think, I feel like 2019, there might've been even more. There were, there were 11 that went over 4,000 in 2019 and they also had a 5,000 yard passer. So if he breaks that record, it's just kind of crazy to think like Brian Seip was second that year. And now here we are, that would have been, you know, the 12th best number in the league. It was that, was that 1980, by the way? Yes, 1980. He was MVP also that year. From the 216 area code, true or false, the 2021 Browns have as good a defensive line as the 2019 49ers. False. I think Scott's yeah, that, the expert on this one right now. That seems like a, a, a slight step too far. So those Niners were what? Bosa, Buckner, who else? Armstead. Armstead. I mean, but, you know, if Bosa's your Miles Garrett, if they had brought back Sheldon Richardson, I just don't think – I mean, I think we're fine – with what we think they'll be at defensive tackle, but there's not a, you know, there's not a pro bowler in there. And, and where is Clowney in the arc of his career? You know, I don't know. I, I, I think that's, I think that's a step too far. Yeah. So they had, he, these were their sack leaders. Eric Armstead had 10, Nick Bosa had nine, DeForest Buckner had seven and a half. Uh, and then they also had D Ford who had six and a half. So they, they had, four guys at six and a half or more and they had two guys at nine or more so they they were monstrous i just don't think it's something we can even answer right now you know nobody thought that niners defensive line was what it was going into that year there were obviously some pieces and you know they had drafted both so pretty high but no, nobody quite expected that line to be as dominant as they were i do think the one area where the browns have the advantage though is you know, like i said armstead led the way for them with 10 sacks that season I mean, the Browns have a potential 17 to 20 sack guy right, in right. Miles Garrett. Yeah, their top guy should be better than any of those guys were. But I think then the, the Niners depth is a step above what the Browns are. All right. Th- this is one kind of pulling back into the past from the 330 area code. True or false? Justin Gilbert is the worst use of a Browns draft pick since the rebirth of the franchise. That's Jim and Boardman. I disagree with this, but I want to know what you guys have to say. God, this is like a separate four-hour podcast, I know. isn't it? I disagree with this because he was one of the, if not the highest rated corner coming out that year. It wasn't that, this wasn't Corey Coleman stretching for a, a, a player that people wondered, you know, why are you taking this guy so high? I think Gilbert was a legitimate pick, was an eighth overall. He brought some return ability. The Browns really needed defensive back. Like Buster Screen was really bad the year before, and they needed to do something because, you know, you had Joe Hayden, and so they bring in Gilbert. The the pick made sense. It just didn't work out. But it was not a poor use of a pick. Buster Screen still in the league last year, by the way. I think he's a free agent now, but still in the league a year ago. Yeah. Needless to say, Gilbert did not beat him out as a rookie. <laughs> I mean, there's just so many choices. I think, you know, trading up from what, four to three to take Trent Richardson after the two big quarterbacks went at the top of that draft, after there'd been so much discussion about would the Browns trade up to get RG3 in the 2012 draft. And with the way the league sort of started turning, like right after that, it's like that draft goes quarterback, like expected franchise quarterback, expected franchise quarterback, running back who does nothing. And it's like a running back at number three, given else what you could have done there. But honestly, I mean, again, and people will talk about it forever. I understood the thinking at the time. I get it, whatever. You know, when you look at how the draft went, where it's, you know, Joey Bosa and Ezekiel Elliott and, and all these guys are in this draft around Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. And okay, if they don't want to go quarterback there, but they trade down, they trade down so far. Like there were a lot of really good, like, Pro Bowl level players in that draft, and the Browns 
ended up, you know, coming out of it with some extra picks and Corey Coleman and that, even if he didn't want to take Carson Wentz, fine. There were a bunch of other good dudes that might've worked out for you there too. So again, it's just, it's Dan, but I mean, put a pin in this one, baby. This is the dog days of July. What what people would people listen to a a podcast, the worst draft pick in Brown's history the two-hour podcast would people listen to that or would everyone just oh. be like it's my vacation i am not listening to that they, they would listen to it they would listen to it for sure and I'll, I'll, all i'll say is this to me it's so a few years ago our buddy zach meisel did a worst browns quarterbacks list and we, we did a video and i put a very prominent browns draft pick at the bottom of the list johnny manzel because I thought the damage he did to the franchise was worse than, you know, some random quarterback that started week 16. So I, th- I think it's Johnny. I think, I think the answers to all of this is Johnny, but you're right, Doug. That's a completely different, that's a completely different podcast. I would put Corey Coleman above. Uh, if I'm going to pick someone to be the answer to this, I would say it's Corey Coleman. I think they just whiffed on that. And I think they would have been better off trading that pick and just getting out of the first round and getting even more picks. That clearly didn't work out. I mean, that draft in 2016, the top eight picks that the Browns trade out for number two, the top eight picks are pro bowlers. Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Joey Bosa, Ezekiel Elliott, Jalen Ramsey, Ronnie Stanley, DeForest Buckner, Jack Conklin. So, I mean, it is like you were there, the philosophy trade down, whatever, but it's like, man, you, <laughs> your dude stunk. And there was a lot of talent bouncing around there. This one from the 440 area code. Are we getting the court, the quarterback RV back this summer? True or false? The quarterback RV returns. Was it there last year? No, because of COVID. Well, no, because of COVID. I say, I say, if you have an excuse to put an RV in the parking lot and hang out in it during training camp, you do it. I don't care if it was a Drew Stanton thing or whoever was in charge of all that. I don't care. If you got a chance to get yourself an RV and hang out in it during camp, you get yourself an RV. If, if Cleveland.com could get us an RV, and we could just hang out in that thing during camp. I'd be all in. I mean, is it, could this be like, could Baker get an RV for the next 15 years? Like, is it, was it, was it, <laughs> if he gets uh, that extension, was it enough of a thing that like, could it could be like his thing that it started off like as a young guy, the other guys were getting it and he's in there and now like it's his thing. And like, you know, by like 2026, 20, it's like, are they getting the RV? It's like, are they getting the RV? Does Baker, Baker Mayfield live and breathe? Yes, they're getting the RV. It's who he is. He's an RV guy. I don't know. I, maybe we could be on that road. I'm going to say false. I think maybe he just leaves that in the past with Freddie Kitchens and Hugh. And now it's about work. It's not about lounging in, a, in an RV in the parking lot. It's about <laughs> winning now. If you can get an RV, man, especially one with one of those awnings, you can pull out the awning and just chill out in the parking lot. It's too good to pass up. I think you only get it if you get uh, Brogan Roback to be your driver. Like if he can, <laughs> like you hire him for training camp and he works the RV, you know? Yeah, that, sure that there you go. Kevin Stefanski will allow the RV, but the quarterbacks have to drive to all the road preseason games. <laughs> <laughs> and Dan Lobby is going along for the ride for the big feature story, baby. <laughs> Well, you know, as, I, as I've mentioned on this podcast before, I was a bus driver in college, so I could drive the RV for him probably. With, oh, my with no God. Problem. You're driving the RV to Jacksonville? I am so there for that. <laughs> All right, last one. Speaking of extensions, true or false, the Browns front office will link two or more new long-term contracts for their core players before the first snap of the regular season. So I noticed the flaw in this question, Terry from Houston, as I was reading it. So we're going to set the number. The Browns front office will link two long-term contracts for their core players before the start of the regular season, true or false. I'm terrible with this stuff because I'm just assuming they're going to get everybody done that they want to get done, whether it's now or later. So I never have a good answer and I don't understand the cap enough to understand why it would make sense now or not. But there's room for them to do two and not do Baker, right? Like that would be possible, right? Like if the answer is they do Ward and Chubb, it makes this a true. So I don't know. I think I might say true because I think I might say Chubb, yes, and then somebody else. Yeah, I'm going to say true. I think they get I think they get somebody done before camp, and I think they get somebody done like in that week before the season. 
and and Chubb and Chubb and Ward feel like the most likely ones. But it also wouldn't shock me if two weeks from now we're doing a press conference with Baker, who just signed a huge extension. None of these extensions would shock me, but I think two is the two is a good number right now. Yeah, Ward Ward soon, Chubb before the season, then Baker after. Like I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if they just do Ward now and Chubb doesn't get signed until after the season, and neither does Baker, because there's reasons for doing that. You know, whether they don't want to the the salary cap increase things like that. So Ward is the one guy I think I could see getting locked up first. And it's complicated too. I'd have to dig through the CBA for this, but I know when it comes to like that guaranteed money, it's not like we're going to give you this much money and they can kind of just pay it out over time. I believe they have to put it away. Like whatever that money is, even if they do, even if the player doesn't get it all right away, that money has to get put away right away. And I think that's something that you got to consider when you talk about these extensions as well. Could you imagine this city if Nick Chubb signs a contract extension like the day before the Chiefs game and then they go and beat the Chiefs? They might as well just shut down the city for that tailgate before the Texans game. I mean, it is really interesting to me how much people are interested in this because, A, is anybody actually worried about (laughs) these guys not being Browns long-term? Like, are are there fans who are like, oh, my God, I hope they sign Baker and Denzel or I think they might not be Browns? It's like – don't we think they're all going to be Browns? Like, so, and, and then the other thing is like, it's not your money. So like, and whether Baker or Chubb or Ward, whether they make 21 million or 24 million or 38 million or 41 million, like what does it matter? Half the people in, in football think the cap is fake. It keeps going up. Mm-hmm. They always have extra cap money. I, like, I don't know the number they get these guys at. Does it really have that much of, a, of an effect on winning and the roster? And they're going to sign them. So people are like, I think people are more interested in the financial of this, of this than they are in their own house mortgage. <laughs> like if you said to someone, hey, do you know what, what, what do you think Nick Chubb's extension should be? They think, oh, I think three years or whatever. I'd be like, do you know what your mortgage is every month? They'd be like, I actually have no idea. <laughs> it's fine. It's funny money. It's more money than any of us could ever fathom. But I just, I just question like, what is the football effect? And I'm here for someone to tell me, Doug, you idiot. Of course it matters because X, it's a big deal. Cause if they do this and they can't sign this guy or whatever, but until I have a firm grasp of that, I just am. I just think they'll keep the good players and they'll be a good team. And I don't understand money. Frankly, I'm not sure. I don't know what my mortgage is either. So I'm not trying to like cast aspersions. It's like, I'm an idiot. I got five bucks in my pocket. And I'm putting it all on miles Garrett to win the sack title. So I'm not saying anybody's smarter, you know, I'm smarter about finances than anybody else. I'm just fascinated by how much people seem interested in it. Well, part of it's because a quarterback's involved, obviously. And when's the last time the Browns, you know, signed a quarterback to an extension? You also have a running back involved. And we've seen so many teams get bit by that. Everybody thinks that their guy's worth it. We've heard people on the podcast say Dick Chubb's worth it. You hear people every day say Dick Chubb's worth it. So I think that's where some of the anxiety comes from. Maybe the Browns and their analytical world don't think Nick Chubb's worth it. I'll say this, though. I mean, we talk about this. Look, it's given us plenty of content doing five pods a week. So we certainly appreciate it. But, you know, for all the, the, cap, the cap experts on Twitter and, and everybody else out there who are trying to figure this stuff out, I'll just reassure you. Paul D. Podesta, Andrew Barry. Quasi Adolfo Mensa, they're not going to wake up one day and say, oh man, we really bungled this cap. We really screwed up the money here. Hey, Paul, did you sign Denzel? Oh no, I thought you were signing Denzel. What? Oh no, we didn't sign Denzel. It's like waking up and realizing the finals today. I didn't study. Listen, Andrew, I know you were going to Wall Street. Wall Street. Quasi, I know you actually worked in banking and finance. and But listen, How'd you forget to carry this one? Yeah. Come on. We gave Baker 400 million a year, not 40 million a year. <laughs> Our uh, football insider subscribers came through for us here on this Monday podcast with some true or false. Yes. No, we didn't get to all of them, but we appreciate you guys submitting and we're going to be doing more of these as we go through July. So if you're not a football insider subscriber, head over to cleveland.com slash Browns it's the blue banner at the top of the page. You're wanting, you're going to want to get on board here. This training camp gets closer. It opens on July 27th. So 
you know, speaking of the financials, if you're, you're kind of waiting for the right time to jump on board, you're getting close to it because we're going to have a lot of fun stuff coming your way once training camp kicks in and you'll want to be a football insider subscriber for all of that. All right, Doug and Scott, I will talk to you guys later. Thanks guys. Hey, Paul, did you sign Denzel? Oh no, I thought you were signing Denzel. What? Oh no, we didn't sign Denzel.